Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake. And today we're here to talk to you about clerics. Bring Da-da-da-da. Clerics are a spellcasting class that is, I would actually say, somewhat unique in that they have a much stronger blend than most people realize between their spellcasting and their melee abilities. Besides Paladin as the class that is probably closest related to them, a cleric is the only class that has the complete spellcasting ability of reaching up to ninth level spells. So a cleric is able to cast that most powerful tier of magic while a paladin, while having a heavier melee focus, can only ever reach up to 5th level spellcasting. So a cleric has both brawn and magic. Both. So, uh, usual heads up before we dive into things, clerics have more subclass options, or divine domains for them in particular, than any other in the game. So... We're not going to just go through all of the abilities because that would just be me reading for an hour to get through all of them. And that's not entertaining at all. So I'm just going to once again go through all of this and just pick and choose some of the most prominent, most useful and most fun. Nathan, I see you're typing and that's distracting. (laughs) Thank you. In the chat, Nathan just said I have a soothing voice, which I appreciate. If you want to give me money to just read something to you, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. All right, so moving on to the numbers. So clerics get a D8 as their hit die. So the same as a warlock or a rogue, less than a fighter, barbarian, or paladin. But it puts them solidly in the middle in terms of their amount of hit points. They all get light armor, medium armor, and shield proficiencies, as well as all simple weapons. And a huge number of the various... uh, Excuse me. Sorry. Burps not go. Let's try that again. And a huge number of the cleric's divine domains actually grant cleric the ability to use heavy armor, with a number also giving them martial weapons as well. So most clerics will have all armor, and a number of them will also get all weapons. Uh, They do not start with any tool proficiencies, and their saving throws are wisdom and charisma. So they have the more mental ability score defenses as their saving throws. So as a spellcaster, the cleric is particularly powerful in that they're able to prepare their spells every single day. You can't just change, or you don't have to just change one spell. You can change as much of your list of prepared spells as you want to. 
It just takes a little bit of time in the morning. One minute per spell level per spell. So even so, if you just take 20 to 30 minutes in the morning, you could potentially change your entire loadout for whatever spells you want to have available for the day. And that versatility is incredibly powerful in case you want to have more healing magic one day if you think you might run into some trouble. You could have utility spells more if you want to have that handy. And that flexibility is a very powerful and underappreciated thing. Every single day you get to pick your spells. And their spellcasting ability is wisdom. So when you're building a cleric, it is up to you to decide whether you want to balance your cleric or if you want to focus more on either their melee abilities or on their spellcasting. So whether you want their highest stat to be their wisdom to boost their ability to cast, their strength, whether you want to make their melee abilities better, and then constitution is the other one worth consideration because regardless of your focus, hit points are good. And one thing that unlike a wizard or sorcerer, the spellcasting focus that a cleric uses is their holy symbol. And the reason that I'm bringing that up as a point of interest is that a cleric has options on what they want their holy symbol to be. So they can have it be an amulet or it can be an emblem on their shield. And what that means is that if they have one of those as their focus, then if you have, say, on your shield, your divine symbol, then that would mean that you'd basically just wave your shield around to do the somatic components of your spell casting. So you don't need to have you know, a weapon in one hand, a shield in the other, and then drop your weapon to draw a wand or staff, a cleric doesn't have to do that because they can just have the emblem of their holy symbol on their shield, or it could just have an amulet or other options as well. And that is something worth considering, because if you had a class that had to drop their weapon to switch to spellcasting, that would be incredibly inefficient. So a cleric does pick their divine domain at first level. So a lot of classes don't get to pick until they're at level three, but clerics get it immediately when they make the character. That being said, there are a ton of them. So I'm actually just going to go through the generic cleric abilities and then backtrack to go over some of the domains afterwards. So the only thing that I am going to mention now is that Clerics do have their normal spell list that all clerics can pick from. However, they also do get additional spells that are called domain spells that each individual domain also grants. So every single domain gives other spells that a generic cleric does not have access to. So your divine domain does increase your spellcasting flexibility. And one other thing that I should also mention before uh, moving on for a cleric's spellcasting, instead of just having a specific number of spells as they level, such as a bard or other spellcasters do, the cleric one is a little bit different in that the number of spells that a cleric prepares each day is their cleric level plus their wisdom modifier. So every time that your cleric levels up, you're able to have prepared an additional spell. Not to mention the fact that adding your wisdom modifier means that if you choose to, to boost your wisdom modifier higher and higher as you level up, you would also get an additional spell or two with that. Alrighty, so one of the cleric's most useful and potentially versatile abilities, depending on the domain exactly, is an ability called channel divinity so their whole shtick is that a cleric is a spellcaster who gets their abilities from their faith whether you choose to implement that in your game directly in that a god directly empowers a cleric to do certain things or whether the power of a cleric's faith in a concept or a god is how their magic is shaped is up to you uh, I will say that is something that is worth thinking about in terms of world building and how you want to shape your world. Because I have seen games where if a cleric breaks tenant with 
their stated god's creed, then they lose all of their powers and just become a commoner. And that breaks the rule. Don't be a dick in my eyes. That seems like the kind of thing that is just needlessly cruel. So I personally do prefer the interpretation of the power of their faith shapes their magic and not that the gods themselves are doing things. However, I would say that there is an interpretation of your commoner thing that could be done in a different way. Could be like your god comes to you and says, you have one week. I need you to do this in order to keep your powers and to prove that you are still worthy of them. And then you can work off there, do something cool with it. Potentially, yes. But I don't like that kind of threat to a character's identity through something that they have minimal control over. Could it be done well? Absolutely. But I will just say my own personal biases lean against that direction. Anyway, I'm sorry. I tangented heavily. I was originally just talking about the channel Divinity Ability, and then we talked about literally channeling Divinity. But moving back to the actual ability. All right. So Channel Divinity is a power that a cleric gets at second level, and you get two effects that you're able to do. You have the ability to turn undead, which forces undead nearby that fail a saving throw to flee uh, for a full minute or until it takes damage. And you get a second ability that is dependent on whatever your domain is. So we'll go back to that a little later on. I will just mention that Channel Divinity is particularly interesting to me in that it is not an actual spell. It is just a magical ability that a cleric has. So it does not consume your cleric's spell slots to do. And you gain it back every time you finish a short or long rest. You get your ability to channel divinity again. And as soon as you get to level six, you can do it twice between a short or long rest and three times at level 18. So the fact that you have a generally powerful magical ability a couple of times between short rests is not to be underestimated. And they have the normal ability score improvement at 4, 8, 12, 16, and 19, where you can either boost ability scores or pick a feat uh, if you use feats in your game, which I do because I think they're fun. And once you get to fifth level, that is... <laughs> Sorry, I distracted myself thinking about a fun time I saw this ability used. Destroy undead. So your channel divinity turn undead upgrades to automatically destroy weak undead. So as you level up, you can destroy the lower tiers of undead automatically. And at level 10, clerics get an ability so powerful that I can only imagine that it's because of the rarity of high, higher level games that this isn't made a bigger deal of because it is so powerful. Divine Intervention. Beginning at 10th level, you can call on your deity to intervene on your behalf when your need is great. Imploring your deity's aid requires you to use your action. Describe the assistance you seek and roll percentile dice. If you roll a number equal to or lower than your cleric level, your deity intervenes. The DM chooses the nature of the intervention. The effect of any cleric spell or cleric domain spell would be appropriate. If your deity intervenes, you can't use this feature again for seven days. Otherwise, you can use it again after you finish a long rest. At 20th level, your call for intervention succeeds automatically. No role required. So, for all intents and purposes, clerics can roll the dice to have their god cast a wish on their behalf at level 10 with a 10% chance of success. Not the best odds, but not nothing. So given that on Tuesday's episode, we were talking about how enormously powerful and versatile wish is. That is a spell that only becomes available at 17th level to spellcasters. But here at level 10, all clerics, regardless of domain, have a 10% chance for a wish-like effect to happen. And as their capstone ability, once they're at 20th level, the call succeeds automatically, which would mean 
that that 20th level capstone is another one that I would say is among the most powerful. An automatic wish granted by your deity would strongly imply that it would be a wish without error or without an evil interpretation. Basically, because benevolent God. Right, a benevolent wish. So a wish from your deity. And if you are a 20th level cleric, there is no reason for such a deity to fuck you over. Because if you've earned the right to call yourself a 20th level cleric of whatever, I would hope that you have your God's respect at that point. All right. So now let's move on to the domains. Uh, One thing I will uh, tangent here for a moment to say, different classes do have a different distribution of abilities in that some classes all get the same abilities for the most part. And then the subclass only gives them a handful of different abilities. On the other hand, some have a lot more diversification from the choice of their subclass. And clerics are definitely one of the latter. The choice of domain very much can shape how you play and use your cleric. So first off, I'm just going to read through the list and I'm just going to pick and choose a few to really go over in more depth. The divine domains are Arcana, Death, Forge, Grave, Knowledge, Life, Light, Nature, Order, Tempest, Trickery, and War. And there is also a Twilight domain in Unearthed Arcana, but I'm not going to count that fully because Unearthed Arcana. So there are a lot of domains to choose from. And exactly what a divine domain means is something that is also worth thinking about. So I know I've already talked about whether you want to use the interpretation of what is the source of your cleric's power. And it is just worth repeating because how you choose to actually use gods in a campaign you're running, or if you're a player, just to know how active are the gods in the world you're playing in is important knowledge to have, even if you're not a religious character. But if you're playing a cleric, I would say that that is essential knowledge to know how you interact with the world. So I'm just going to mostly go down this list uh, alphabetically as I'm picking through. So I'm going to start with the Arcana domain. And this one, I actually will say, is probably my favorite one. So an Arcana cleric's lore is that they may worship a god of magic or they may worship magic as a concept itself. Because even in D&D, in theory, a god can come and go. But magic itself is eternal. So to worship magic itself as a force makes a lot of sense to me. So when you do pick the arcane cleric, uh, you do get the bundle of spells as you level up to choose from. But there's actually another first level feature that is, I would argue, more useful, which is arcane initiative, arcane initiate. You gain proficiency in the arcana skill and you gain two cantrips of your choice from the wizard spell list. For you, these cantrips count as cleric cantrips. So that's something that doesn't sound particularly big, but really does increase your character's flexibility. Cantrips are the level zero spells that don't consume your spell slots. So having more of them and from an entirely different spell list gives you a lot of flexibility. So you can choose to get attack cantrips that are just flat out not available to a cleric normally. You could get something like Green Flame Blade, which would be a magical boost to your melee abilities. Or you could do something more utility. Uh, I don't know, something like Mending, if you don't already have some of the other utility options available. But the fact that you get extra versatility from the wizard spell list is very much worth counting. Also, that phrasing at the end that these cantrips count as cleric cantrips is important. And so just keep that in the back of your mind for a little bit later. Next up, uh, at second level, they get the other channel divinity option, which for them is arcane abjuration. And what that means is that instead of just being able to turn undead, you could 
also do a similar thing to celestials, elementals, fae, or fiends. So the fact that you can do that to so many more types of creatures is very powerful. Not to mention the fact that when that gets to fifth level, instead of destroying them like with the undead version, you can actually banish away a creature. So if you are all listeners of Riftwake, I sincerely hope, then you'd remember that there was a fire elemental that gave us a significant amount of trouble. So if we could have just banished that thing back to the elemental planes and not had to fight it, that would have been great. Anyway, uh, yes. So at sixth breaker, you get at sixth level, you get spellbreaker, which is anytime you restore hit points to an ally with a spell of first level or higher, you can also end one spell of your choice on that creature. So if you have an ally that has something like hold person cast on them by casting a healing spell on them, you would also automatically remove that hold effect from them, which really does help the action economy of the party by having your one action heal them and remove the spell. Very useful. Now, uh, I mentioned before that that phrasing earlier of these spells are cleric cantrips is important, and that's because at level eight, you get potent spell casting, where you get to add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip. So the fact that those wizard cantrips that you take count as cleric cantrips means that you'd be able to add that as well. So uh, sticking with that example of green flame blade, what that spell does is add fire damage to your melee attack. So if you have, uh, let's say, uh, okay, they just get at eighth level. So when the spell is cast, the cleric would deal their weapon damage plus 1d8 fire damage for the cantrip plus your wisdom modifier, which is, let's say, two or three. So you could be doing, you know, let's say you've got a warhammer. So it'd be 1d8 plus two bludgeoning plus 1d8 plus two fire every turn. So the arcane cleric is very much able to be that more middle ground of spellcaster and melee combat melee combatant now when you get to level 17 is the big one arcane mastery choose four spells from the wizard spell list one each for levels sixth seventh eighth and ninth spells you add them to your list of domain spells Uh, like your other spells they are always prepared and count as cleric spells for you now you may remember me mentioning offhand in Tuesday's episode about Wish that the arcane cleric has the ability to gain Wish. And this is how an arcane mastery cleric. So once they're at 17th level and pick any 9th level wizard spell, and I would think at least that Wish should be at the top of that list. All right, moving on. Uh, I will say both the death domain and the grave domain have that kind of dark cleric feel to them and is a lot of fun. And they are both rather useful classes or useful subclasses with useful abilities. But honestly, for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of skip past those ones because most games don't usually go the evil dark route. But I will say, if that's something you're interested in, then I do highly recommend looking them up. So moving on to the Forge domain, though, this is one that I feel is actually somewhat underappreciated. It is a very, very good one. And this is that almost artificer-like subclass for the cleric in that they are about creation and they get a number of useful abilities to do so. So first off, just for the proficiency side of things. This is one of those classes where you get heavy armor proficiency, but you also get smith's tools automatically. And one rule that a lot of people don't know about, so I'll just mention here kind of as a quick tangent, there are times where you'll get a tool proficiency that it's possible that you already have. And this could be with tools, and this can also apply to skills. Like if you have a background skill, you have repeat on your class skill list. So you may be forced to take like religion twice or smith's tools twice if you're a dwarf, let's say. 
when that happens, there actually is just a throwaway line in the books that mentions that when you have proficiency from the same uh, from different sources for the same thing, you can choose any other to have proficiency instead. So if you are a dwarf that also becomes a forge cleric, you would have your smith tools proficiency potentially from your dwarvenness, and you could then pick any other tool proficiency that you can pick up carpenter's tools or calligraphy or uh, alchemist supplies, potentially whatever you want. So doing that on purpose can be useful to give yourself that little bit more character flexibility and uh, sticking with the skill side of things. That actually is one kind of sneaky, tricky way to give yourself a skill that you would not normally have access to. So if you have the acolyte background and a cleric, then you could have training in religion twice. And then that would allow you to pick any skill for the second one, because it does not say you pick a skill from the class skill list as the second. It just says you pick a different skill. So you could use that to get your cleric, uh, what would be funny, stealth, whatever you want. So doing something like that is a way to give you some more options. Anyway. Back to the actual Forge Cleric itself. Uh, Also at first level, they get a very, very powerful ability. Blessing of the Forge. At first level, you can imbue magic into a weapon or armor. At the end of a long rest, you touch one non-magical object, that is a suit of armor or a weapon, and until the end of your next long rest, or you die... The object becomes a magic item, granting either a plus one bonus to AC if it's armor or a plus one if it's a weapon. So at level one, a cleric of the forge has the option to have a magic item for themselves or for one other member of the party. So if you make the choice, for example, to have someone else in the party be the person in front, you could give that person that plus one to AC. It does not say it has to be one of your items, just that there can only be one item with the enchantment. So also at second level, their other channel divinity option is another particularly useful one. I won't say powerful, but I will say this is another of those utility yay type moments. So channel divinity, artisan's blessing. You conduct an hour-long ritual that crafts a non-magical item that must include some metal, a simpler martial weapon, a suit of armor, 10 pieces of ammo, a set of tools, or another metal object. The creation is completed at the end of the hour, coalescing in an unoccupied space of your choice on a surface within five feet of you. The thing you create can be something that's worth no more than 100 gold. As part of of this ritual, you must lay out metal, which can include coins, with a value equal to the creation. The metal irretrievably coalesces and transforms into the creation at the ritual's end, magically forming even non-metal parts of the creation. The ritual can create a duplicate of a non-magical item that contains metal, such as a key, if you possess the original during the ritual. That is very, very versatile. So the fact that you can just have arrows for the ranger in the party when you don't have the time to really step back into town or you can take all the junk armor off of the orcs that you killed and actually use all of the metal of that to create something that is useful to the party is it a powerful ability no is it useful yes and then as they level up farther they get resistance and then even eventually immunity to fire damage And then they also get a bonus when wearing heavy armor once they're at sixth level. And then when they get high level at 17, while wearing heavy armor, they also get resistance to all non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. So we talked about in the Barbarian episode that that resistance to those standard damage types, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, is immensely useful. Uh, Anyway, backtrack a quick sec. Also at level eight, they get a power to have all of their weapon, or sorry, to have a weapon attack on each turn, deal an additional D8 of fire damage automatically, and then 2D8 at 14th level. So if you have a 14th level cleric, oh wait, no, sorry, this is not uh, the arcana one. I was going to say, if you had that and green flame blade, you'd be real powerful. 
Unfortunately, that does not stack. Sad. Anyway, moving on. Knowledge domain. Having a cleric of knowledge is another one of those immensely versatile subclasses. This one, I would say, probably is my second favorite after the arcana domain. Uh, You get the usual, I keep saying the usual stack of spells, but you're not able to see the spells because I'm just skipping past them. But you get spells, and they're fine, but they're not interesting. Anyway, as soon as you pick the domain at first level, you learn any two languages, as well as two additional skills of your choice from among arcana, history, nature, and religion. But what makes it particularly powerful is that for the two skills that you pick with this, your proficiency bonus is doubled, which means that it doesn't say it in the phrasing, but this means that for those two skills you pick, you have the expertise featured the same as a bard would have at level one. And the knowledge domain's channel divinity is also a useful one. Knowledge of the ages. Starting at second level, you can use your channel divinity to tap into a divine well of knowledge. As an action, you choose one skill or tool. For 10 minutes, you have proficiency with the chosen skill or tool. So if you have a situation where, oh crap, no one in the party is good at the talkie bits, then okay, for at least 10 minutes or so, I'm proficient in persuasion and just having that extra versatility for any skill for 10 minutes or tool useful uh, they actually also get an additional channel divinity at level six additional uh, additional option i should say so most of the channel divinities get more powerful when they get a higher level instead the knowledge domain gets an additional option so channel divinity at level six read thoughts You can use your channel divinity to read a creature's thoughts. You can then use your access to the creature's mind to command it. As an action, choose a creature. They have to make a wisdom saving throw. If they don't, you can't use this feature again on them until you finish a long rest. Uh, If they fail the save, you can read their surface thoughts. So those forefront in its mind, reflecting its current emotions and what it's actively thinking about when it's within 60 feet of you for one minute during that time you can use your action to end the effect and cast the suggestion spell on the creature without expending a spell slot the target automatically fails its saving throw against the spell so suggestion is a very very good spell that is another one of those kind of underappreciated ones in that it lasts for up to eight hours where you suggest a course of activity uh just a short description like a sentence or two and magically make the person do that thing it has to be a reasonable request i believe is the phrasing that the spell uses but the fact that you can just say okay i do this and then uh the next time you see me unlock the gate and let myself and my party in yeah okay that sounds reasonable Um, you're not asking me to hurt myself so it is so potentially powerful. And the fact that it's a channel divinity, and because you only get that at sixth level, you would have two uses of this ability between short rests. So considering that a short rest is only an hour, and the suggestion effect can potentially last up to eight hours, in theory, with good planning, a cleric with that power can have a half dozen people relatively easily that are all under suggestions to do certain things for you. <laughs> Very useful. Uh, at eighth level, they also get that potent spellcasting ability to add wisdom to the cleric cantrip damage. Their 17th level one is actually a little bit odd. Very useful, but unusual. Visions of the past. You can call it visions of the past that relate to an object you hold or your immediate surroundings. You spend at least one minute in meditation and prayer, then receive dreamlike shadowy glimpses of recent events. Uh, You can do this for a number of minutes equal to your wisdom score and must maintain concentration during that time as if you were casting a spell. Once you've used this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. So with the object reading version of that, You can hold an object and see visions of the object's previous owner. 
you could learn how they acquired and lost the object, as well as the most recent significant event involving the object and that owner. If the object was owned by another creature in the recent past, within a number of days equal to your wisdom score, you can spend an additional minute for each owner to learn the same information. Also, aura reading is an option. As you meditate, you see visions of recent events in your immediate vicinity, a room, street, tunnel, clearing, or the like, up to a 50-foot cube, going back a number of days equal to your wisdom score. For each minute you meditate, you learn about one significant event, beginning with the most recent. Significant events typically involve powerful emotions, such as battles and betrayals, marriages and murders, births and funerals. However, they might also include more mundane events that are nevertheless important in your current situation. So that second one in particular, aura reading, the fact that a cleric of the knowledge domain who has that ability can see the recent past means that there are potential crime solvers in the world who could literally go to a spot where a bad thing happened and see who did it. That is very much a thing that you want to consider when doing your world building is that if you have a couple of 17th level knowledge clerics, they would be impossibly good inspectors. All right, next up, we've got the life domain. So the life domain, I would say, is probably the most popular because of the fact the life domain is the flat out the most powerful healer in the game flat out so the life domain cleric gains all of the healing spells automatically as their domain spells leaving you the option to pick more utility or combat ones should you so choose uh, you also do get heavy armor with that subclass but at level one of this class is where its powerful ability kicks in and i would argue that even just one level this Class is really, really good. Disciple of Life. At first level, your healing spells are more effective. Whenever you use a spell of first level or higher to restore hit points to a creature, the creature regains additional hit points equal to 2 plus the spell's level. So every time that you cast a Cure Wounds, which is a level 1 spell, they would regain 3 bonus hit points in addition to the normal roll. Every single heal you do will do at least three additional healing and more if it's a higher level spell. And they get that at level one. And for that reason, a uh, quick tangent, because this is also an important fact, the life domain cleric is one of the most popular choices for multi-class because of the fact that one, you get heavy armor proficiency at level one. And because of the fact that you get that boost to heals. So if you have a multi-class of, say, a druid and a life domain cleric, then if you cast just the spell Goodberry is a debated spell that I'll probably get into more detail when uh, we get to druids. But the basic version is that if you eat one of the 10 berries this conjures, you heal one hit point. But with a multi-class of druid and life cleric then that those 10 berries with one casting would each heal four hit points it's kind of a cheap hack but it's a good way to have a you know level two very effective healer in the game also uh once they're just at second level so uh back to full life cleric now moving on preserve life channel divinity as an action, you present your holy symbol and evoke healing energy that can restore a number of hit points equal to five times your cleric level. Choose any number of creatures within 30 feet of you and divide those hit points among them. This feature can restore a creature to no more than half of its hit point maximum. You can't use this feature on an undead or a construct. So that does have a rather hard limit of not being able to heal above half their hit points. However, this is a powerful, powerful healing ability nonetheless, because let's say you've got a level five cleric. So that would mean 25 hit points of healing every short rest. Actually, let's bump it up a little bit more just at sixth level, because at sixth level, you get two channel divinities per rest. So you would have 
50 hit points available. Or wait, no, math wrong. 60. That's level up. Yes. 60 hit points per short rest, with the only limit being you can't bring someone above half their hit points using that ability. There's a reason I called them the best healer in the game. Uh, let's see. Moving along, uh, speed things up a bit because this is definitely getting long already. <sighs> All right. Blessed healer, when you heal others, you heal a bit too. Divine strike. So similar how the forge cleric gets to do extra fire damage. Uh, same thing, except that the life domain gets to do radiant damage. So always handy if you've got a lot of undead or just in general, because not a whole lot of things resist radiant damage like they might fire. So it's the same thing, level 8, extra d8, level 14, extra 2d8. Now, level 17, their top uh, subclass feature, very much cements the Life Cleric as best healer. Supreme Healing, starting at 17th level, when you normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points with a spell, you instead use the highest number possible for each die. For example, instead of restoring 2d6 hit points to a creature, you restore 12. You don't roll dice anymore for your healing. So if you use a higher level healing spell, you will heal massive numbers of hit points. <laughs> All right. Uh, the light domain, I'm going to just mention much more briefly. That actually is a subclass that gives you more attack options. I normally don't talk about all the spells you get, I'm just going to mention one because it's fun. The Light Domain Cleric, once they get to 5th level, gain access to Fireball, which I'm pretty sure I've already mentioned a time or two, is one of the best attack spells in the game, especially for its level. Uh, besides that, they also get a good amount of attacking abilities and just light-based abilities. I'll be honest, it's not the most interesting one to me personally, so I'm just going to kind of skip over it. But it does very much have a kind of fun flavor to the cast, just not quite to my uh, style. Uh, next up would be the nature domain, which is interesting in that it gives a kind of druidic twist to the cleric. And they get a lot of the druid spells added to their spell list. Uh, they get a druid cantrip when they get that air at first level, as well as one of the nature-y type skills. Uh, they also get heavy armor. Uh, their channel divinity is to charm animals and plants. So again, it really is just kind of a druidic addition to the magic that you normally have access to. And that is a potentially fun one. But again, just not quite my style. And we're already running really, really long now. The Order Domain. This is another that I feel is somewhat underappreciated because it has some kind of neat abilities to it. Uh, the Order Domain gives you heavy armor and Intimidation or Persuasion as a bonus skill. Uh, they get a power, Voice of Authority. Starting at first level, you can invoke the power of law to drive an ally to attack. If you cast a spell with a spell slot of first level or higher and target an ally with a spell, that ally can use their reaction immediately after the spell to make one weapon attack against a creature of your choice that you can see. If the spell targets more than one ally, you choose the ally who can make the attack. So this is beautiful in terms of action economy. Normally, a cleric has to make the choice. Do they heal or do they attack? This feature at first level lets both happen. You heal the ally. The ally can use their reaction to make an attack. Best of both worlds. Available at level one, no limit on how often you do it, just however many spell slots you have to heal with. That's a good power. Uh, skipping ahead a little bit to sixth level, embodiment of the law. If you cast an enchantment spell, uh, first level or higher, you can change the spell's casting time to a bonus action if the spell is normally one action. And you can do that a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So having the ability to cast a spell as a bonus action, once again, very good for action economy. If you want to make a weapon attack and then cast a spell as your bonus action, then you're able to just have more damage on the field. And they also get the Divine Strike ability, although for that one it's actually Psychic Damage, interestingly enough. So the usual 
1d8 and then 2d8 as they level up. So their 17th level one, Orders Wrath. Enemies you designate for destruction wilt under the combined efforts of you and your allies. If you deal your Divine Strike damage to a creature on your turn, you can curse that creature until the start of your next turn. The next time one of your allies hits the cursed creature with an attack, they take an additional 2d8 psychic damage and the curse ends. So just a passive ability every turn, you can allow your allies to potentially do an additional 2d8 psychic damage. And what's particularly nice also about that class, because it is extra psychic damage, even if you're fighting a bear totem barbarian who resists all damage but psychic. There aren't really that many sources of psychic damage, honestly. Alrighty. Uh, next up is the Tempest Domain, which is storm-based, uh, very much Zeus theme kind of thing. Um uh, honestly just gonna kind of skip past that one. But it does have some fun attack spells. That is definitely an offensive one. The trickery domain. <laughs> uh, if you're fond of Loki, then you can be a cleric of him if he is a god in the world you're playing in. I'm getting tired of just sitting and talking so long at once. We have two more. <laughs> We're so close. And and, and we've done longer on Riffwake. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But normally I'm not constantly on for Riffwake. I can stop and mute and stretch. Anyway. Oh, good point. Yeah. Uh, trickery. Ba, 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 ba. All right. So yeah, it honestly is kind of themed a lot like Loki's power set in Avengers. You get some sneaky abilities you get some magical illusionary duplicate powers you can do some invisibility and you can also get uh that usual divine strike although with poison damage oddly enough which strikes me as an odd choice but sure why not and then just their 17th level ability is just that they can make up to four duplicates at once and move them about which useful all right and then finally Finally, we have the War Domain. So this gives you a lot of the Paladin's spells in addition. You get both martial weapons and heavy armor, which makes a War Cleric able to use all armor and all weapons. Also at level 1, so their ability, War Priest. From first level, your god delivers bolts of inspiration to you while you're engaged in battle. When you use the attack action, you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. You can use this feature up to a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, minimum one. You gain all uses when you finish a long rest. So one of the big flaws of clerics in general is that unlike all of the pure melee classes, they do not get extra attack at all. A cleric can only attack once per turn, forever. But they are very heavily armored, and their magic can be used to boost their melee abilities. But honestly, personal bias, I'll admit, for the most part, I lean towards the spellcasting side of cleric. But the war cleric, or the war domain rather, very much does help that action economy balance by giving you more weapon attacks. Also, the war cleric's uh, second level channing, channel divinity is incredibly powerful so guided strike you can use your channel divinity to strike with supernatural accuracy when you make an attack roll you can use your channel divinity to gain a plus 10 bonus to the roll you make this choice after you see the roll but before the dm says whether the attack hits or misses so after you roll you can decide i'm gonna take a plus 10 to that roll <laughs> that is awesome not to mention the fact that as you level up even at level six and you can just do that twice per short rest more cleric pretty good uh then also it actually gets a kind of boost when you get to sixth level war god's blessing at sixth level when a creature within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll you can use your reaction to grant that creature a plus 10 bonus to the roll uh, you make this choice after you see the roll, but before the DM says whether the attack hits or misses. So at second level, you can give yourself a plus 10. At sixth level, you can give it to anyone within 30 feet. That's, that's pretty good. 
All right, and then uh, as usual, Divine Strike, extra 1d8 and 2d8 damage. Uh, oh, interesting. So it's actually different a bit in the others in that instead of being a magical damage type, it's actually the same type. So it just boosts how hard you hit with your normal damage type. So if you've got a hammer, it'll be bludgeoning. If you've got a sword, it'll be slashing. That's actually quite interesting. And then at 17th level, Avatar of Battle. Gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons. So, I've talked a lot about how useful resistance is. This one is somewhat more limited, though, in that it does specifically say non-magical weapons. So you don't seem to gain resistance to just the damage types from any non-magical source. So that's an unfortunate limit, but still, in battle, a very good thing. So, that has been a whole lot of talking about clerics. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit fried right now and don't have a pithy ending. Bye! Thanks for listening to this episode of Refs and Rolls. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Have a good one. Bye! Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.